John Avlon is senior political analyst and anchor at CNN. I'm delighted to have him back on this program. John, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Tavis. Great to talk to you, man. Good to hear your voice again. Thanks for coming on. Uh, let me start with this because I saw a piece that you wrote recently. We'll jump into some other political news uh, that we have to cover today. Everybody's <laughs> talking about Mitch McConnell, of course, uh, and that, mm-hmm. mom- that moment yesterday where he just froze. And um, if you saw it, it was actually scary to watch. Uh, I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell's politics, but it was scary. Uh, to watch him just freeze in that moment yesterday. Um, if you've not seen the video, it's everywhere. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it by now. We'll talk about that and a couple of other things. Uh, a judge has put Hunter Biden's plea deal on hold, questioning the details of it. That might be a setback for the president. Uh, and Trump's lawyers are uh, meeting with prosecutors. Uh, as these uh, election interference charges, the next set of indi- the next indictment looms, uh, they're meeting to try to hammer that out, whatever that means. So a lot to talk about in the few minutes that we have. Let me start, though, John, as I said, with the piece I saw you write recently. Uh, and the, the headline was why a third party 2024 presidential ticket is a dangerous gamble, a dangerous gamble. I've talked so far to Cornell West. I've talked to Marion mm-hmm. Williamson. Uh, RFK uh, Jr. is on the way here. Um, so I've been talking to these third party candidates. But unpack your piece for me about why you see it as a dangerous gamble. Well, I, I come to this uh, from from an unusual perspective. You know, I, I've been an independent voter for, for most of my life. Um, I've been an advocate uh, for third parties in some context as a way to decrease polarization because in all my writing, whether it's my books or my columns, at the end of the day, what I've been really focused on in my career is how can we overcome hyperpartisanship and polarization. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a co-founder of No Labels uh, over a decade ago. Um, but you know, you also got to understand uh, politics in, in the context of its time. And, 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 and we are a long way from normal right now. The problems of polarization have, of course, gotten worse. The incentive structure is screwed up around the two parties. But uh, right now, we have the even more uh, dire, from my perspective, situation where Donald Trump, former president, tried to overturn our democracy on the basis of a lie, uh, seems in poll position to be the nominee uh, versus the incumbent, Joe Biden, who has a record of bipartisan uh, legislation uh, that is, is unusual, more than 300 pieces of bipartisan legislation. And so to, to, while, while the, the, the rematch may be unpopular, and I think there is a danger we are sleepwalking into the next election, mm. you got to look at the math of electing a president and a third-party candidate in this situation is, is you know, maybe one of the only ways uh, that Donald Trump could get reelected. And so you got to be wide-eyed about that, even if that's nobody's intention. Um, you know, we can go through the history. We can talk about 1912. We can talk about year 2000, mm-hmm. uh, when, when, when Ralph Nader won 48,000 votes in Florida and Bush won by 537. Mm-hmm. That's as clear as day. So you've got to be wide-eyed about that, even as I think the party's got to wake up to the fact that the, the, the parties are more polarized than the American people, and we need to assert that, and the rise of independent voters is evidence of that. Yeah. I'm all for being wide-eyed. I guess my, my problem is, is simply this that I believe that uh, fellow citizens have the right to self-determination. And to the extent mm-hmm. that uh, to the extent that a third-party candidate uh, uh, receives any significant number of votes, it just suggests that there are fellow citizens who are disappointed with both parties. That mm-hmm. is our right. And I'm not so sure, although I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I take your point, though, John. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that all of our politics should be should be geared toward making sure that one guy doesn't become president rather than voting what we think are our best interest. Yeah, I, I, I hear that and I laugh because, of course, you're right. And, and yet you got to play out the stakes 
uh, of a second Trump term with regard to the fact that, I mean, go, go, you know, big articles coming out about how he's trying to figure out how to dismantle all the checks and balances around the executive branch. Mm -hmm. Um, You're dealing with something uniquely dangerous in our history. We've had demagogues before. We'd have, you know, conservative populist leaders. Uh, This is what we're dealing with is very different. And you just got to be wide eyed about the implication. Let's go back to the 2000 example, Mm -hmm. the most recent. You know, there were 48,000 people in Florida who thought Al Gore wasn't good enough on the environment, right? 48,000 people in a state he ultimately won by 537, which tipped the presidency to him. And if the environment was your number one issue, I'm all for, you know, having a protest candidacy. I'm all for greater choices. I think we should have proportional representation. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a right and a wrong way to do third parties. But in that case... You know, those 48,000 people who thought Al Gore wasn't strong enough in the environments, they voted Green Party with Ralph Nader, I don't think got the better end of their bargain in reality when it comes to the policies they allegedly wanted to support. And and if you want to look at how to build a third party, I think the forward party is doing an interesting job of it right now. Take a look at the only successful third party we had, which was the anti-slavery Republican Party in the 1850s, which was a moderate progressive party at the time. It began by building in certain states and then ran a candidate for president. And that's, I think, the right way to do this. Let's take states where they're not competitive general elections right now, mm-hmm. where voters are effectively denied a choice, and let's have more parties. Let's start building viable alternatives. But running someone for president first, because of the way the electoral math works, because of the way if no one hits 270, it goes to the House of Representatives, because of the way that each state gets one vote then, uh, it, it, there are practical problems that are really fundamental. And I'm not saying it's not good to have choice. I'm not saying it's not good to have an insurance policy. Right. And I don't have any problem with ballot access. I'm just saying be wide-eyed about the implications because you could wake up with a situation that's, that's the opposite of what you want to achieve. So, so I guess my pushback would be, and I'm doing this just for the sake of argument, my, I guess my pushback would be, sure. al- although I believe in the point very strongly that I'm about to share right now, which is maybe the problem isn't third-party candidates. Maybe the problem is the Electoral College. And we keep focusing on one. We have all these conversations about why Cornell West shouldn't run or why Ralph Nader shouldn't run. Again, people have the right to self-determination. I understand the math. I ain't stupid. But at the end of the day, maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe it's not about third-party candidates. It's about the Electoral College. And nobody, apparently, it seems, wants to have that conversation, John. Well, 100%. Look, (laughs) The way we get out of this mess is by we have we have an screwed up incentive structure. You want to change the game, you've got to change the rules, and we got to deal with that directly. I could agree with them more. And and the problem with the electoral college, of course, is it's in the Constitution. Sure, you got sure. to deal with a constitutional amendment. Yep. But Jesse Wegman wrote a great book about this that I highly recommend. Let the people choose the president. Um, if you ask me, the way we get out of this mess we're in right now. I, I would I would say it's a combination of open, end the rigged system of redistricting, so you get competitive general elections again, mm-hmm. open primaries, so candidates can't just play to the base, and ranked choice voting, so there's a disincentive for candidates to try to destroy their opponents because they want to win over their their, their opponents. Mm-hmm. And I'd also say proportional regis- uh, proportional uh, representation of delegates, so it's not winner yep. take all in these states. If the Republican Party did right now, they could they could actually structurally say like. Your general point, I couldn't agree with more. We got to reform our electoral system to make it more representative of the people as a whole. Yeah, hundred percent. We agree on this, though. Um, gerrymandering, I think, is a threat to our very democracy. And so your your point about redistricting uh-huh. and its connection to gerrymandering, uh, you and I are, are are simpatico on that. I think again, it's one of the greatest threats to our democracy. And speaking of proportion of voting, as you know, Republicans haven't fixed that problem yet, but Democrats did some years ago. I raise mm-hmm. this to remind the audience that Barack Obama wouldn't. I've said it many times. I remind the audience, Barack Obama. 
Obama would never have been the nominee and therefore would never become your first black president mm-hmm. if you're not counting Bill Clinton. Obama would never have been your first black president if Jesse Jackson had not run in 84 and 88. Jesse is the one who forced the change in the Democratic Party from uh, uh, for, to, to proportional voting from winner takes all. I say that because I was in Chicago last weekend, spent some time with Jesse Jackson. He now has Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. It's advancing, and I, I, I just hate seeing him in that condition. His mind, though, is sharp as ever, and I always want to remind people that Barack Obama is not your first black president. If Jesse Jackson had not forced the Democratic Party to change the rules to proportional voting from winner take all, uh, Obama would have lost to Hillary. She would have been the nominee. He never would have been president. I digress. Back mm-hmm. to your point about no. Mm-hmm. Back to your, yeah. So Republicans ought to do the same thing. I think. Back to your point about no yep. labels. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you mentioned you were one of the co-founders of it a decade ago. I ain't mad at you about that. But here's what I do have a problem with. <laughs> a- any group that calls itself no labels troubles me. Uh, I quote once again my friend <laughs> Jim Hightower out of Texas. The only thing you find in the middle of the road is a dead armadillo. I don't I, I, I don't I don't like the idea of people telling me they have no labels because that suggests to me I could be wrong, but it suggests to me that there aren't a set of I might have put it there, there are not a set of immutable principles by which you would govern when you say no labels. I mean, what do you, you got to stand for something? Mm-hmm. You got to stand for something, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, let, let's dig into that. First of all, I, I don't love the name. I've never loved the name right. uh, for a lot of reasons, one of which is you don't begin with a negative. Right, right. So that, exactly. That's one. <laughs> Second thing, the, the idea behind it was is let's get to understand each other on the basis of our common humanity, on the co- basis of common uh, values and the fact we're all Americans, rather than all of a sudden putting each other in, in positional bargaining with, against groups which gets in the ways of our reasoning together. Right. Which is why the one, good, one of the good things they've done is form this Problem Solvers Caucus in, uh, in, in, in Congress where, where people get together across party lines. And some are pretty conservative, some are pretty liberal, but they all find, believe that you've got to find a way to reason together to solve problems. And, 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 and that's the, the kind of larger amen to that. But, but, you know, your point about, look, this is part of the problem about the, 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 the place we're in as a country, is that our politics have become tribal, in a way that they're largely united by uh, hating your perception of the other guy. And we got to rise above that. Yeah. And, and that's what great leadership does. Um, and, and you've written about, about great leaders who elevate your common humanity and connect a progressive agenda uh, with, with, with a deeper patriotism yeah. with, with, uh, that, that, that goes outside all the bunting uh, of, of patriotism. And this is where the history is really important, too. You know, you were talking earlier about the, the election reforms and, and, and the role that Jesse Jackson played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to really you know, deep cut, but last time we talked was about my book on Lincoln. Sure. You, you go back and look at the way you know, we had three constitutional amendments that were undone at the end uh, during Reconstruction and the Jim Crow uh, that were largely based on, on the rig system of redistricting, voter intimidation, violence, voter suppression. Uh, you know, all the stuff is, is how we got in this mess. Mm-hmm. And so it shouldn't feel abstract to folks if they, Remember the history they haven't been fully taught. We got yeah. to study the Reconstruction a lot more than we do today. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And um, don't disagree on that at all. Got four minutes to go here. Let me do a rapid fire round sure. if I can. We start sure. with Mitch McConnell. This video, as I said, was just arresting to sort of watch mm-hmm. yesterday at a press conference. Mitch McConnell is speaking and he just froze mid sentence, just mm-hmm. froze and just stood there. Uh, it was it was clear uh, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know what he was saying. He just stopped mid sentence and just stared 
and that 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 stare in his eyes said everything. Uh, we know mm-hmm. he's we know he's fallen multiple times this year. We know he had a concussion earlier. Mm-hmm. He did come back yesterday to answer questions, and all he said was, "I'm fine." He wouldn't get into what happened. He just said, mm-hmm. "I'm fine." But this is troubling to me for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is, with all due respect, and I see it on the left and the right. I could talk about McConnell. I could talk about Diane Feinstein. Why is it that these mm-hmm. people don't know when to go home, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, you raise a great point. You framed it, I thought, exactly right at the top. It was scary to watch. He was trapped inside himself for a second there. Yeah. And, and, and you divided. I disagree with his politics, but I care. You know, I wish him well as a person. Sure. I, that's the, we don't do that enough. Exactly. But your larger point is right. We got a gerontocracy in our politics because of this incentive, screwed up incentive structure in part, where people can hold on to offices indefinitely because they're not really competitive general elections in many states or, or congressional districts. Yep. And it, it, it ends up stopping the kind of citizen-led legislature we need. So you're right to call it out. Yeah. Let me go uh, to um, this judge who has put the Hunter Biden plea deal on hold. We thought we we, mm-hmm. we, we thought this Hunter Biden stuff was behind us. I'm trying to juxtapose yeah. the fact that the judge, by the way, appointed by Trump, has not accepted this plea deal that both sides had agreed to. She's not accepted it as yet. Juxtaposing or not not that's the wrong word. Let me let me pair that. That's what I'm looking for. Let me pair this news with the comments by uh, Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, earlier this week that the House is moving closer toward a Biden impeachment inquiry. How do you read? this development well look I mean, the, the biden impeachment threat is 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 just fodder for the far right to keep them in line it's not rooted in reality any objective definition of high crimes and misdemeanors this, this judge's decision um you know it comes down to what seems to be bad lawyering they left ambiguous whether or not the plea deal would pardon them for anything and they didn't seem aware of the fact that it came out yesterday uh, that the DOJ, there's an ongoing investigation having to do with some of the foreign money he raised. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got to bifurcate the two. It's fine to look into it, but the problem is, you know, r- r- Republicans are, are 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 sort of trying to fire this up for political purposes, uh, and the DOJ is trying to depoliticize it. Yeah. Uh, and those two things are totally cross purposes. So it's not a good day for 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 Hunter Biden or the Biden campaign. Yeah. Um, but hopefully it'll add some clarity down the road. Uh, but it was a total, total car crash yesterday. Got uh, 90 seconds left here. Trump lawyers, uh, we are told, are meeting right now in Washington with uh, Jack Smith's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know, uh, based on the letter that Donald Trump received that he told us about, this third indictment is on the way. I'm not sure this meeting is going to stop anything. I, I suspect that indictment is still coming, John Avalon. Yeah, I mean, you got to assume that based on the target letter, and then you got to actually look at what the indictment says. What are the charges? What are the details? How? What are the receipts they got? Who has spoken to them? That actually reading that—that's where the news comes in. And don't forget, this is not about politics. It's not about whether he benefits or not in the short run. Forget about that. This is about American history, and this is about the no one's above the law. So read it carefully. Yep. Um, John Avlam, CNN, senior political analyst and anchor and author of a brilliant book about Abraham Lincoln, uh, who uh, we discussed, as I said, last time he was on the program. John, good to have you back. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you, sir. You too. Thank you now. You too, sir. More, More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.